right, well, it is the last Sunday of the year and the first Sunday after Christmas, which is known nationwide as National Youth Pastor Preach Day. All over the place, youth pastors preaching everywhere, so here we go. Uh, a couple years ago, I, uh, I gave a message on this uh, very Sunday, and uh, I wanted to kind of bring back some of the things that, that we talked about and add some new stuff to it. And the reason is, I believe it's such an important topic uh, to talk about uh, just the topic of faith and to discuss things like what is faith, how can we define it, how can I put action to my faith in the new year, uh, is my faith a blind faith or is there evidence behind it, those are all questions that I feel like we need to wrestle with and, and discuss often, uh, especially as we head into the new new year. Um, you may be familiar with this story, but there was a man named uh, Charles Blondin who was a famous tightrope walker, and in 1860, he tightroped across Niagara Falls. Um, this past summer, Caitlin and I had a chance to go to Niagara Falls. It was amazing to see it, and also while we we're there, just to envision this man tightroping across it. It was just unbelievable. There was somebody recently that did it as well, but, but Charles did it across the whole thing, and it was just incredible to read about. Well, he, was, he had different props. He had different things he was uh, using while he was up there. At one point, he took a wheelbarrow across it, and then he yelled down at the crowd, and he said, who believes that I can do this with a person inside? And they all cheered, you can do it. <laughs> and he said, okay, now I need a volunteer. And there was silence, as you can imagine. So what happened was they were, they saw the show and they were, they were cool with it and they're they like, this guy's amazing. We have evidence of how great that he is, but it's a different thing to put my life in his hands. I don't think I want to do that. And I believe this story teaches us a lot about faith because there's times when we, we see God at work, we even have evidence of his work and his existence, but it's another, it's a completely different thing to put our, our trust completely in his hands, to get in that wheelbarrow that he's holding um, and to say that I trust you with everything in my life. So I'm sure you already know this, but the way the world defines things is not always the way God's word defines things. And the topic of faith is one of those things because if you were to look up the word faith in Webster's Dictionary, there's a lot of definitions, but there's one that really stands out to me one of them says, firm belief in something in which there's no proof. And I want to ask, I want to reflect on that this morning. Is that the kind of faith that we have? Is the faith that I have in Jesus based on absolutely no proof? Or is there more to it? Because the Bible in Hebrews 11 gives us a definition of faith. And it's much different than the dictionary. Hebrews 11.1, 1, focus on those two, two key words. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So yeah, there is an element of, of faith to what we believe, including with God's word. But this verse makes it clear that we have an assurance of his existence. Um, years ago, I started reading this book and I've, I've quoted it before. It's a book that we give a lot of times to our seniors when they graduate. It's a book called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And it's an incredible book. And the point of the author, it's a very large book. The point of it was to weigh the evidence for God and against God. And his conclusion was, I believe there's more evidence pointing to God and Christianity than against it. Therefore, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It's an amazing study. Um, but this next analogy is from that book. There is a difference between faith that 
something exists and faith in something that exists. Here's the example. In the book of James, there's a verse that says, even the demons believe that God exists and they shudder. So they have this intellectual knowledge that he exists, but they choose not to follow him. Well, more times than not, when the Bible talks about faith, it is talking about the faith in him, the trust in him, that based on the evidence that I do have, it's up to me then, am I going to put my trust in him or not? <clears throat> Another example I'd like to share is this idea of, based on the Bible's definition of faith, can I have faith in a sports team? Can I have faith in a ball game or can I have faith in different elements of life? Um, or is that hope? Um, Zane, Zane Mason over here. Told you I was gonna call you out. Zane's in our youth group and uh, he's one of our interns here at New Hope. And uh, we like to, we're in this NFL Pick'em League together. So um, every, every week we, you know, it's a league where you pick who wins and who loses, um, who you think is gonna win the games in the NFL. And Zane, bless his heart, has picked the Colts to win every single week. And his reasoning is, well, I'm a huge fan and I got faith in my team. And I, I'm like, I'm a huge fan, but they're not gonna win every game. And I wanna win the pick'em league, so sometimes I wanna pick against them. But we, we, you know, I kinda go back and forth with them and I tell them like, Zane, that's not faith. If it's according to the Bible's definition, that's hope. You hope they win. You can't be sure and certain without a doubt that they're gonna win. He's like, no, that is faith. And we go back and forth, it's kinda fun. But even though it's kind of a fun conversation to have, I really do uh, feel strongly about this, that sometimes we, when we talk about faith, we're actually talking about hope and we can get them confused. And that actually could become an important conversation with someone. For example, if I were to be talking to a non-believer and I say like, you know, I got faith in the Colts today and then they lose. And then I say, I've got faith in God. He may, he or she may be thinking, Kind of like you had faith in the Colts, right? That didn't really work out. So I don't think, you know, your belief in God's going to work out. So sometimes, even though it's kind of a fun conversation, sometimes, you know, it can be one of those things where we confuse faith and hope. The Bible's definition, I can be sure and certain of my God. I also want you to consider how you would answer this question. If somebody were to ask you this, why do you believe the Bible is true? If you were to answer them with, well, I have faith in it, is that a good answer? Especially in this day and age, we're approaching 2020. There's a lot of people with very uh, intellectual minds and they want, you know, they're seeking evidence, they're seeking truth in different ways. And the truth is this, whatever I believe or don't believe doesn't change whether or not something is true. I don't care what Oprah says about that topic, by the way. If you believe something, that doesn't make it true or not. Um, as Frank Turek, his, his example is, if you don't believe in gravity, do you float away? No, you do not. So whether or not I believe something or not doesn't change that it exists. So my point is, my conversations with people, I try to, if they were to ask me why I believe the Bible's true, I try to stay away from just, well, I have faith, I, you know, I believe it, that's my personal belief. And I try to talk about things like, the, the history of the Bible, the evidence, the eyewitness testimony, the, the 5,000 Greek manuscripts that were found and the, you know, the, the 10 to 15 sources outside of scripture that were corroborating with it and you know, the fulfilled prophecy and you know, what year it is and like all these different things of what I believe of why I believe the Bible. I believe there's evidence behind it, not just you know, a blind belief that some people think that we have. 
so uh, scientifically speaking, here's another um, fun conversation that I like to have is um, when it comes to evidence of, of God, when it comes to evidence of the Bible, I believe from a scientific standpoint, something like time, space, and matter, those things cannot exist without the other, which means time, space, and matter had to, they have to coexist, so they had to come into existence at the same time. So most scientists today will, will admit that the universe, based on the, the proof, had a beginning. So I believe it must have had a beginner. And the God that the Bible describes is a God who is outside of nature, who is timeless, spaceless, immaterial, someone outside of nature who's putting it all together. Also, scientifically speaking, life can only come from other life. Cannot spontaneously show up out of nowhere. So where did the first life come from? And there has to be an answer behind that. Um, also, if everything works by cause and effect, and we are the effect, what was the cause? These are all things that we have to ask and wrestle with. There's also incredible design to the universe and to the human body and just everything, everywhere you look. Um, and it's, it's incredible. And if there's this great design, there's got to be a designer. There's got to be someone holding it all together. I don't know if you've heard some of these things, but if the earth's, uh, the tilt of the axis of the earth was off by 0. 0.000, like 20 zeros, one power, we wouldn't be here. If the sun wasn't there and the stars and planets weren't in the exact locations, we wouldn't be here. There's so many things that, that are mind-blowing to think about. Then you talk about not just the big things, but the little things. One cell in your body has enough information to equal 1,000 encyclopedias. One cell. Uh, the human brain has, can retain enough knowledge to stack Madison Square Garden, every seat, books, to the rafters. That's how much our minds can comprehend. It's just unbelievable. Uh, you may have heard this one, that if our DNA was taken out and stretched out, it would be over 700 million miles stretched out. There's gotta be something outside of nature holding it together. Then if you go to looking at the Bible itself, a couple years ago we watched the Case for Christ movie here at church, and I believe it's still on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, um, if it's not, go buy it. It's incredible. But I just love the story behind it because it was a, a person that worked at the Chicago Tribune and he was an atheist and his wife had a conversion and she became a Christian. He wanted no part of it. So what he, what he thought is, I'm gonna use my journalistic abilities and I'm gonna go seek to prove Christianity wrong. So he went out on this journey and had all these interviews and kept notes. I think it was like a three-year journey that he went on. And when, he, when it came down to it, he became a Christian, not because of something that happened in his life necessarily, not because of um, you know, a church service that he went to or anything like that. It was straight up because of evidence. It was when he weighed the evidence of there being Jesus and Christianity, he believed the verdict pointed to it being true. So the bottom line is, though, and these are just a few examples. I don't have time to, to go through all of the things that, um, all the apologetics and things to study. I would be happy to, to tell any of you um, the, the wide list of apologists that I follow and that I read. And their articles, they're, they have apps, they have all these amazing things. There's another great book called The Jesus Skeptic. Um, Case for Christ, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. All kinds of apologists to follow. Uh, to strengthen your faith and to also be able to have better conversations with people instead of us just saying, well, I believe it because 
I have faith in it, but there's more to it. There's more to it than that. And so as we look to 2020, let's continue to seek God in all things. Let's continue learning more about him and the evidence that he has given us and knowing that we can be sure and certain of what he's given us. And also for us to truly live out our faith, we have to put action to it. So we talk about that definition, being sure and certain, Hebrews 11.1. 1. But if you want to learn about faith, the entire chapter, Hebrews 11, known as the faith chapter, um, the author of Hebrews gives us all these Old Testament heroes, men and women of the faith that did amazing things. And every single time there was action involved in their faith. It was, it was never just like, you know, this person had a, had a belief in God and that was it. There was more to it. There was always action. So you can see some of those action words Uh, Abel brought, Noah built, Abraham obeyed and went, Moses left, the people passed through, Joseph spoke, Isaac blessed, uh, just to name a few of the examples. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So not only did he not know where he was going, but he actually died before everything was fulfilled. But the advice that, the encouragement to give there is that there's gonna be times when we won't see all the effects of our faith. Sometimes God's gonna call us to do things that we won't have all the answers to. And sometimes we'll go through things that we won't even see results for a very long time. But will we be faithful um, even in those moments and put our our faith in action? How about the famous story of of the men in the furnace? Uh, Their response, like you're gonna bow down or you're gonna go in the furnace. So they end up in the furnace and they say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. So the the boldness of these men to stand up when when everyone else is kneeling down is incredible faith in itself. But to also say those words, even if in this moment God chooses not to save us, we're not gonna worship you. We're not gonna bow down to you because we know he is the one that is able and is in, in control and his will be done. So think of how important this story is for us even today. Um, I, I never wanna be one of those uh, Christians who, you know, something happens in my life and my faith falls apart. I wanna cling to God in those moments. I wanna run to him and knowing my faith in him will not change. He knows what's best for me. Even if I don't get the answers that I want or my way, his way is best and I'm gonna trust that. So my prayer for for myself and for my family and for uh, our youth group and for um, this church in 2020 is that we uh, be a group of people that put action to our faith and a, a group of people that start to say yes to God and to the things that he wants us to do and the areas he wants us to serve. I love this very simple quote from Bob Goff. He said, want more faith, do more stuff. <laughs> That's all he said. Now, he, was not, he was not saying that our salvation is something that you have to earn or you have to earn God's love by doing these things. What he was saying is if you want your faith to grow, kind of like a muscle, it's gotta be put to use. And, you know, sometimes if we feel like, you know, God feels distant or I haven't heard from God or I'm not sure what he wants me to do with my life, we need to go serve. We need to go where his people are. You know, you don't really hear that if somebody goes on a mission trip or they go serve at a, a soup kitchen or homeless shelter, you, you don't really hear them say, yeah, I just don't know where God is because usually in those moments they see exactly where God is. So things like 
being in a connect group and um, maybe discipling someone. Take someone that um, you can meet with once a week in the new year and take them to coffee and go through scripture, go through a book study, disciple, you know, have, have those moments where you're putting your, your faith in action as well. Um, serve your church, serve your community. So our, our faith is not gonna grow if we just sit back and, and do nothing. We've gotta get in the game and, and have a place to play as we like to say here at New Hope. Um, several years ago, I love sharing this story, there was a traveling theater production called The 99. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. This was probably 10 or 12 years ago. I was serving as a youth pastor at Claremont at the time, which is by Brownsburg. And all the Indianapolis pastors heard that there was this big theater production coming to Indianapolis. So we went to this meeting. We wanted to find out more about it. Well, they told us that basically 99 represents the number of young people that die every day from poor choices and all, you know, put all the lists together. So this traveling production, it goes from city to city. It's there for three weekends in a row. It's only $2 to get in. They put it on the news. They put this 20,000 square foot tent in a mall parking lot in Indianapolis. And there's all these rooms and there's all these volunteers that are like um, showing uh, the different things that are going on. There's actors, uh, volunteers, similar to every 15 minute program. Every room is either five and a half minutes or 11 minutes, and they go through each one. What they don't know is, towards the end of it, there is a room that depicts hell. And then there's a room where the gospel is shared with them. And then the final room is a room full of uh, pastors and counselors who are there to talk to them if they need someone to talk to. So it's an incredible production. When they told us about it, they also told us that thousands of people will come through it, and they said about 80% of them will be unchurched. So at the meeting, I'm just blown away. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. And, you know, be careful what you wish for, right? They said, Tyler, I I don't know if you're willing to do this, but we really need help in the ministry room, someone to share the gospel with these people. Now, you may think that, you know, that's something that I would be able to do. Well, I was in my early 20s at the time. I had a ministry, but I was more confident with my group than, you know, thousands of unchurched people. And I had these thoughts in my mind of, I'm not qualified to do this. I don't know if I can do this. Can't you find somebody else? Like there are all these pastors in Indianapolis. Can't you find somebody else that'll do this? And I almost said no. I almost said no to it. I almost found an excuse not to do it. I ended up doing it reluctantly. And I have to tell you, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my entire life. I got to share Jesus with thousands of people. And I was so impacted by what happened those three weekends that I asked them, I said, where's the next city? And they said, we're just going to Louisville next, the next three weekends. So I actually went, got a hotel in Louisville and did it for two more nights because I was that impacted by it. Um, and, And again, I keep thinking about how I almost said no. I almost said no to this. And you know what? I sounded a lot like Moses at the beginning. There was a time when Moses, listened to what he said, when, when God called him, it says, Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now. And even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. So like Moses was telling God, basically, you've got the wrong guy. I can't do it. Someone else more qualified. Check out God's response. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So to recap, Moses says, I can't speak for you. God says, I made your mouth. I know you can. Maybe we should stop telling God what we can't do and start saying yes. 
And so because I said yes, I had that incredible opportunity. And I gotta tell you, from that moment on, it was a, a turning point in my faith. I started to say yes to more things, uh, ministry-related opportunities, service opportunities. So I wanna encourage you to think in this new year, and not just when the church asks you to do something, but maybe a neighbor, a coworker, friend, family member, um, somebody that you may be thinking, you know, they're trying to take advantage of me or my service to them or whatever, start considering the fact that maybe, maybe God is the one asking. Maybe he's the one in this moment, this opportunity, this platform that I have a chance uh, to give and to serve him. I'm amazed too at, you know, if you look through the New Testament stories, the, the action, um, the people that said yes, whether it was to be healed or to serve others, a story in Luke 17, which you hear a lot around Thanksgiving, the 10 lepers, how only one came back to give thanks, but they were all cleansed. Well, there's one part of that story that I love in verse 14, where it says, when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And then it says, as they went, they were cleansed. They could have just stood, you know, stayed there and not believed that it was gonna happen, but they still, they put action to it. So this story teaches about thankfulness and we should always give thanks, but it also teaches once again about faith and action. Sometimes we want these immediate answers from God when God is telling us, start walking in faith and then I'll show you. And you may not see it now, but start walking and then later you'll see it. I also know this time of year is a big time of year for resolutions, goal setting, those kind of things. I just wanna share one verse. It's a verse I've shared before, but just a a life-changing verse that could hopefully shape our entire worldview in 2020 and beyond. Paul says this, and Paul is someone who's accomplished so many things. Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So whatever goals we have, all that really counts is faith in action. All that really counts. Again, not my, my bank account or my followers or my accomplishments or even my failures everything that I've worked up towards, the only thing that really counts in this life, the only thing that will last is my faith and how I put it to use. Faith expressing itself through love. So just some encouragement, no matter what your plans are, no matter what you hope to accomplish in this next year, don't forget that verse. Don't forget that we have evidence for what we believe. And never forget that we can confidently, we can be sure and certain we can get in the wheelbarrow that Jesus is holding so that 2020 is a year that we can put action to our faith like never before as we start to say yes to more things ministry related and live for him. We're going to have a time of communion as we do every Sunday, a time to reflect. Maybe we can reflect on the blessings that he's given us uh, over this past year. And as we look ahead Maybe a time to, to ask where he wants us to go, what he wants us to do as 2020 approaches. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this um, opportunity and for the opportunities you give us as a church, as believers. Um, I pray, God, that with the short time that we have on this earth, that we uh, use our time wisely and that we understand uh, there's ministry to be done, there's non-believers everywhere we look. And as we reflect back on our life one day, we wanna be able to say that we put faith in action. 
So I pray that for our church. I pray that we can work together and live for you. Thank you for, for showing us the way, for believing in us, for calling us your children. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.